couple of Mark these last several weeks, and if you've missed any of them, uh, you got to go back and, and be a part of this because the Gospel of Mark just helps us see who Jesus is and how we can not only pick up his cues and live like him, but be amazed by who he is like the disciples were that day. I'm going to dismiss our middle schoolers. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed to your class today. Great to have you here with worship. Enjoy your class time. Awesome. Well, back in August of 2017, we were camping with some of our life group. If you're not in a life group, friends, you got, you got to find a way to connect with people and do life together. We were camping with some of the friends that are in our life group together over at Crooked River Ranch. You ever been there before? It's a great location for camping, central Oregon, just outside of Redmond. And uh, the weather there is usually very gorgeous. And... Uh, we were having kind of a, a barbecue together. I brought over my little cook stove, and most of our uh, fellow campers camp in tents. Bless their heart. I don't know how people do that. We used to. Uh, we were in a trailer, but we came over to the camp, the general tent area, and I began to barbecue some hot dogs and burgers. And I remember specifically, it was that point of the burger when you got to put the cheese on. You know what I'm talking about? There's a point. There's a window of time. To put the cheese on a burger. So I was asking, you know, who wants what kind of cheese? And next thing I know, I see the camp is in a frenzy because a wind had whipped up almost like out of nowhere. And it had already toppled a couple of awnings, you know, those little canopies you put up. And it began to actually threaten the tents that were staked to the ground. This wind just came out of nowhere, and I'm sitting there barbecuing because nothing's going to get between me and a good barbecue burger, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And I see what's happening. And so I delegate to my son, hey, watch the grill, because, you know, you you can't let the the meat burn. That's just a bad thing. So watch the grill. And and I went over and tried to help out as best I could until it dawned on me, I have a trailer with my awning out (laughs) in our campsite that I can't see from where we are right now. So I grab my son, we forget about the burgers, and we run to my trailer, and I kid you not, it is rocking, and my awning is just buckling and bending underneath this great wind. We try to grab the the rim of our our awning, trying to bring it at least back down, because it's electric. You have to close it with a button that's inside the trailer. I mean, who, who invented that idea? And so I'm trying to hold this thing down enough that Jameson can stabilize it so I can go inside and push the button to close it. Thankfully, this time, our awning didn't blow over the top, although a few years earlier, I had totally destroyed an awning at Crook River Ranch because of the, the wind that seems to come out of nowhere. Today, I want to talk about what happens when storms come out of nowhere in our lives and what Jesus does to storm-tossed followers in the midst of their storm. Because what we discovered in Mark 4, and we're going to look at it closer, is that Jesus says some critical words over us. Peace, be still. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 4, 35, it says that day. So this was the same day. If you're looking at Mark 4, you just go back a few paragraphs. This was the same day that he taught the parable of the soils. He went on to share some other parables that were very similar to the one he had shared. And uh, he taught all day. In fact, if you look at all the gospels in comparison or in stereo, as it were, you can kind of 
Jesus probably did a large segment of teaching. And remember, he was out on that floating boat out on the Sea of Galilee, also called the Lake of Gennesaret. So the Sea of Galilee wasn't really a sea. It was basically a lake, um, kind of like what we'd have here at Detroit Lake, all right, just kind of a, a big lake. And he was teaching from the boat. Remember, there were thousands of people pressed up on the hillside as he was teaching. And it was that day, as the evening came, that he said to his disciples who were in the boat with him, let us go over to the other side, the other side being the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. Make sure you pay attention to that line. We'll come back to it. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So Jesus is always on mission, remember? He's always on mission. He's always about his father's business. And he's been teaching, and he has expended his energy teaching. And he tells the disciples as evening comes. I mean, this guy preached all day. How many would want to stay here until evening approaches, right? He preached all day. He was tired. And he looked at them and said, let's go to the other side. Rather than going to the shore, because he knew what was going to happen if he got to the shore, he would continue. People were pressing around him, and he just knew it was time to pull away with his disciples to get some rest, but he also knew what awaited him on the other shore. We'll get to there next week. So he gets him in the boat. He says, let's go to the other side. He gave him a purposeful command. You got to put these stories together. He stated a reality to them that was a promise. Go to the other side. We'll come back to that in a minute. That'll make sense as we get further in the story. So they took him along as he was in the boat, and they, they, were, they began to leave. And there were other boats, because as Jesus was teaching inside his boat, other boats had been docked near the shore, and they were listening to the teachings of Jesus. And they were just now approaching the evening, which was when all of the Galilean fishermen would go out into the sea to fish. They fished in the evenings, because generally by then, the high winds were over, and they could have calm waters to fish on, and the fish would come closer to the surface because they net fish back then. And as we know, in the evenings, the fish come closer to the surface so they can fish. So many boats were going out on the Sea of Galilee as well to fish. Oftentimes, we look at the story and think about just one boat, Jesus, disciples, and that's it. But other boats were present as they put out. In fact, in, in 1986, they actually unearthed a first century fishing boat. Um, it had been uh, revealed through a, a series of drought that happened that year. And on the shore of Galilee, pretty much near Capernaum, they found the, the hull of a boat from first century. They, they had kind of carbon dated it to that era of time. And th these boats were about 27 feet long and about uh, seven feet wide at their widest part of the boat. So certainly big enough to hold the disciples and Jesus and not like small dinghy. I mean, this is like a big, big boat for fishing. And they were heading out into the, into the waters and a furious squall came out of nowhere. Now this happened frequently in the Sea of Galilee because the sea itself, picture this with me, the sea is 700 feet beneath sea level. That's how low the water is. And so you have mountains that come up all around the Sea of Galilee. And what happens is the cool air that blows in over the mountains comes down and mixes with the warmer air sitting on the surface of the sea. And when cold air hits warm air, you know what happens, right? That creates a perfect storm. And storms were very frequent on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, a third of the disciples, four of them, at least we know by name, Peter, Andrew, James, John, these were seasoned professional fishermen who I'm sure have been out on the sea when there has been a storm. 
So this is very common, and what would happen is this wind would whip up out of nowhere, and it would churn this deep water, because the lake was actually, at, at its deepest point, 150 feet deep, a lot of water, and when that wind would come, it would churn up the waves, and these waves could start rolling 5, 10, 15, 20 feet high. Well, pretty soon, that little 27-foot boat is being bashed by wave after wave after wave, and it would break over the deck. And that's what began to happen. The boat began to take on water, and the disciples tried to correct the boat and try to make sure they were facing the right way. They were doing all they knew how to do to face the storm. But this one seems to be different. But pretty soon, panic sets into their heart. And they're thinking, we're going to die out here on the Sea of Galilee. And here's the question, what brought the disciples into the storm? What brought them there? I mean, think about it. Don't you think Jesus, fully God, fully man, would have kind of known what's waiting in the Sea of Galilee? I think he did. You know, there are storms that I brought into my own life through my own disobedience. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've been there. Storms relationally, financially, storms in my body that I've just brought on on my own through disobedience. We see a story of that in the Old Testament. Remember a guy named Jonah, right? The reason we know Jonah primarily is because he was eaten by a whale. I mean, how many would remember for that reason? Well, that was that guy eaten by a whale. That's how I want to be remembered. Why was he eaten by a whale? Because he was disobedient to God. Called, God called Jonah to go and preach the good news to the Ninevites. He, he hated they were vicious, wicked people. And he was like, no way, God, they don't deserve it. He ran away the other way, hopped on a boat, heading the opposite direction. And a storm came upon the sea that threatened these veteran sailors who were crying out to their gods for their own life, thinking it was coming to an end, woke up Jonah, who also happened to be sleeping, told him to pray to his God. And Jonah said, look, guys, just toss me overboard. This is because of me. Just toss me over. And they toss him overboard, Right? What happens? Immediately the sea becomes calm and God provides a whale to eat Jonah. I pray I never face that in my life. But it was because of his disobedience. But here in this situation, we have disciples who were told by Jesus, what? Go to the other side. They were being obedient. It wasn't disobedience that brought this storm. There were times, friends, that storms come simply because we are being obedient. And there are times I believe that God wants to teach us something in a storm that happens in our life. And we begin to ask the questions of why. Why the storm? Why is this happening? Because you begin to go, I'm doing everything right. And everything wrong seems to be happening here. And that's what we see the disciples dealing with. So they're in this storm. They are threatened to be pictured with me. It's dark because it's night. Usually storms aren't happening. But how many know storms are far creepier at nighttime, right? I remember specifically it was night. We lived in Nixon, Missouri, and a tornado was coming through our town. Now, that would freak most humans out. I was outside trying to see where it was. But it was dark, and it was dark outside. It was kind of eerie, weird, as the storm passed just a mile away from our house, taking down new constructed homes like it was toothpicks. Dark, a little bit scary. There's water coming in over the boat, way over the boat, filling the boat up and threatening to sink the boat. You see panicked disciples who are bailing water, trying to just survive. Why? Because fear does something in us, doesn't it? 
Now, fear is not wrong. It's a natural response when something happens to us that is beyond our control. Fear is normal. Isn't it, isn't it true that storms are a great word picture for the fear and the panic that set into our lives and our hearts sometimes? We, we get kind of in this fog of darkness, and we turn inward focus, and we begin to look for the resources within to somehow make it through this storm, somehow make it through this problem, and our perception becomes very narrow, and we lose sight of the big picture. Everything in us is trying to war against the storm that is going on outside of us. So the disciples are in a panicked frenzy trying to save their life. They think this is the end. And what is Jesus doing? Verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. This, friends, is evidence that the New Testament accounts are not fictional writings. I mean, who would put this into a story about the Messiah? There's a great storm. Disciples are panicked. Jesus... He's sleeping on a cushion in the back of the boat. Nobody would write that into a story if they were willing to highlight the glamour and the splendor of who a Messiah is. This is evidence of eyewitness accounts that are being shared. Now, Mark, who wrote this, was too young to be there in the boat that day, but he got his information from Peter, who was with Jesus all the time. And Mark was a disciple of Peter, and Peter was with Jesus, and Peter was with Jesus in the boat. And this shows us what Peter remembers about Jesus when this was happening. He's like, we were trying to save our backsides, and Jesus was asleep in the boat on a cushion. You can almost kind of just hear the sarcasm in his voice as he's sharing what happens. What are we to do with a sleeping Jesus? What do we do with that? Right, I mean, one of America's famous portraits portrays General George Washington as he's leading his troops across the Delaware. 1776, it was December 24th and 25th. You see this brave leader standing in the boat as they were going through a winter storm that was horrific. There was ice in the river they were crossing. It was freezing rain. It was, they were being tormented by cold storms. And you see George Washington, and look at the pose. He is brave. He is bold. He is leading his men across this storm. Okay. Wouldn't this be the picture you would assume you'd want to find in your Bible when it talks about Jesus being in the boat with his disciples during a storm, right? I mean, wouldn't this be a better picture? Here's Jesus. This is Jesus' flag. And he's leading his folks through the storm. We're going to make it. There's not going to be a problem. We're, the leader is here. This is what you would expect to find printed in a nice portrait inside your Bible. You wouldn't probably today even find a picture portraying this event as it was recorded in Mark, where you see the disciples panicking, a storm's coming, and Jesus in the back of the boat sleeping. That would not be something that would make it past the first edits of your Bible to have pictured in the Bible. Because what do we do with a sleeping Jesus? And maybe you've been there before. And you feel what the disciples must be feeling. Our world is falling apart, Jesus. We're bailing out and you're asleep in the boat. We're freaking out, and Jesus has crashed out. We're over here losing, and Jesus, he's snoozing. 
The water keeps pouring and Jesus is snoring. You're not going to hear those words in a worship song either. Because what do we do with a sleeping Jesus? When you're clutching a pail to save your own life and he is cradling a cushion, what do you do with that? How could Jesus possibly sleep? How do you deal with this contrast, the frenzy of the disciples and and the sleeping rest of Jesus? Well, it shows us a couple of things. One, it shows me the humanity of Jesus. This guy was tired. He had preached his heart out. Friends, there are some Sundays when I fall asleep and I think I would sleep through a storm. He had preached his heart out. He was tired. He was asleep in the boat. But you know what else it shows me? That Jesus was at complete rest. Some of you lay down at, at night, but you don't rest because your mind is turning over things that you're anxious and you're worried about, things that you know are going to meet you tomorrow or things that were left unresolved today, and you're not finding any peace. But here's Jesus at rest in the boat. Why? Because he knows that God's got a plan for his son. And so Jesus is at rest. Storm's there. He's resting. Jesus knows he's living on purpose. And imagine if this was the end of the gospel. Imagine if it was the ship took on water and they all perished, including the would-be Messiah who died in a ship accident. News at 11, right? What if that's where the gospel ended? See, friends, Jesus didn't come to die for your sins by sinking to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. He knew his father's plan. Work's not done with me yet. He had a bigger picture. We'll come back to that in a minute. So he was at rest. And here's the thing. The gospel doesn't end here with a story of tragedy. And friends, the storm invading your life right now is not the end of your story. It's not. So stay Focused. They stayed focused. Jesus is with them in the boat, and he's with you. Let's look what happened. Verse 38, as it continues. So the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Now, we got Jesus who can sleep through just about anything, right? I mean, think about what he's been sleeping through right now. He began to fall asleep when the waters were calmish and he was rocked to sleep in the boat, right? And pretty soon, though, that boat is really rocking and it's really rolling. And water now is coming in over the sides of the boat. And there's bound to be like some kind of weather-related noises like maybe thunder and lightning. And he sleeps through that. And he sleeps through the shouts of the disciples. Hey, grab a bucket. People start bailing. You do this, do that. He's hearing Peter yell out commands. Just they all stay. He's sleeping through all of that. But when does he wake up? At the plead of one of his disciples. I mean, who was it that woke him? I wish the Bible would tell us. I mean, you can imagine that conversation. Somebody's got to go wake up Jesus. Well, you wake him up. I'm not going to wake him up. I mean, somebody drew the short straw and had to go wake up Jesus. But it began to be at a point where it wasn't like, hey, Jesus, sorry to... Disturb your sleep here. Could, we are really in trouble here. Could you help us? I mean, that's, that's the edited version of the gospel story, right? What do they do? 
Whoever it is that wakes him up, what are the opening words that he says? Don't you care if we drown? This is not a statement of faith, friends. This is a complaint against Jesus. Don't you know what's going on here? You're sleeping. We're dying. Wake up. Do something. Don't you care? The question I wrestled with is how long did they struggle before they went to Jesus? How long had that gone on? The Bible doesn't really tell us. For these seasoned fishermen, they might have applied as much of their know-how as they know how. They probably did all they could to keep that boat afloat. But eventually, their know-how was not good enough. And they had to shift from their know-how to the know-who. Their know-how wasn't going to work, but they knew who could help them. And friends, there are times when your know-how is insufficient. In fact, we probably should go to him much quicker than we often do because we know who is sufficient and able to help us. But their call to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? These were words of criticism, not a call for help. And some of you have been there before. Don't you see what's going on, God, in our life? Don't you care? Don't you care if my marriage falls apart? Don't you care if my kid is injured and dies from this thing he has? Don't you care about my loved one? Don't you care about our financial picture right now? And how many times have we jumped right over faith and moved right into criticism and condemning Jesus? Because the disciples do not interpret Jesus' peaceful rest for a great care for them. They interpret his inactivity as insensitivity to their needs. He's not doing what we think that he should be doing. So what was their expectation of Jesus when they woke him up? Don't you care if we drown was all they heard. But what was their expectation? An extra hand to help bail the boat? I mean, what were they wanting him to do? How many times do we just want to hand Jesus a bucket and say, bail out the problems I'm dealing with, Jesus. We want to tell him how to do it. You're a carpenter, Jesus. I know you don't know how to do this fishing, boating thing, but at least bail water out of the bucket, please. I mean, wouldn't that, I mean, think about it. Shouldn't we instead invite him to do whatever he sees fit to do? And then just trust him and know that he's probably going to show us something about himself and ourselves in the process. So we shouldn't be alarmed by surprises in our life. They're going to happen. Storms are going to come. And they come, maybe for some of you, they've come one on top of another. And you just feel like hurricane whatever just came over your entire life. But could it be that some of these storms are divine moments where God is working in the everyday storm circumstances of your lives to reveal who he is? and who we are, and who we need? I think so. That trials and tribulations and difficulties and desperate moments, these become the area where God does his greatest work in our lives. And he, he brings us basically to the end of ourselves. Disciples know how, could not do anything to save them now. Sometimes for some of us, he has to bring us to the end of ourselves simply so that we will be driven to him to run into his arms and say, you are Savior, you're the rescuer. I can't do this. 
we do, we do not see the response of these disciples being very spiritual. But how many times have I been guilty of the same? Don't you care? Don't you care, Jesus? See, what happens is I allow fear to overwhelm me rather than allowing my trust in God to overwhelm me. See, here's the truth. Something, friends, will overwhelm you. I would much rather it be my awareness of who God is than the storms that I face. So what do you allow to overwhelm you? Are you overwhelmed by the troubling storms around you or overwhelmed by the peace of Christ within you? Because the reality of that storm for those disciples came between them and their assurance of Jesus' care. And they weren't sure he cared. But Jesus still cares, friends. And here's the thing. Even when he's misunderstood, he still cares. You know, if I was Jesus and they came and woke me up, you know what I probably would have said? Why'd you wake me up? Go figure something out. That's what I would have said if, if I was greeted with, don't you care? We're going to drown. I would have said, you nincompoops. You're fishermen. Go figure it out. That's what I would have said if I was in the boat sleeping. But Jesus, misunderstood as he was, doesn't do that. What's he do? Verse 39. So he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. And it was completely calm. I mean, get this. He did something his disciples never expected. And if they came with their assumptions of Jesus, grab a bucket, do something, if that's what they expected of Jesus, they would have fallen very short of what he was able to do. Friends, how many times do we do the same? Jesus, take this bucket, help me. And he's like, well, I could do that. Or I could do something that will blow your mind. What do you want me to do? He could have started bailing water. He, he could have taken control of the ship and, and steered them to safety. Being God, he could have made the storm move away from them and go to somebody else's boat. How I many of you wish that on somebody else? Whatever's happened to me, God, stop it, but I'd like you to do it to that person over there. But he doesn't do that either. He could have teleported the boat from where it was to dry land, just like that. But he didn't. Instead, you know what he did? He spoke to the storm. That you just need to let set in your mind for a second. Jesus spoke to the storm. I mean, who wants to be friends with the storm? Hi, storm. He speaks to it. And he says, quiet, be still. The actual translation in the Greek is more crass. It basically means shut up, be muzzled. That's what it means, be muzzled. What do you muzzle? You muzzle dogs that are a bit ferocious. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I see a dog with a muzzle, I kind of walk a little bit further around the dog. Because I know the muzzle's there for a reason. It's to keep the dog from doing what that dog is desiring to do. How many of you need to just hear that word concerning your storm, that he has the ability to muzzle it, to shut out the voice, 
that you're listening to in the midst of your storm. So you can only hear his voice speaking peace. Be still. It's the same word he used when he spoke to the demoniac that day in the synagogue and he told the demoniac, be quiet. Same word. This shows us, friends, what happened when he spoke the word to the storm. It says, what does it say? He rebuked the wind and said to the waters, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. There's things that we miss because we don't read Greek. Let me tell you what the Greek says. Earlier in this passage, when it said a furious storm came on, the term that's used is megas. We get the word mega from it, okay? We get the idea what mega means, right? Mega food means a lot. You want to buy fireworks that have mega on the front end because those are going to be really cool fireworks. We want mega, right? That means really big. It's the, it's the largest volume of big. That same word, megas, was used with this saying it was completely calm. In other words, what was a mega storm became in an instant a mega calm. Who but the creator himself can speak to the very elemental level of creation and it immediately obeys. I don't know about you, but if I was in the boat that day and I saw what was happening, I mean, when he said, quiet, be still, it wasn't like, and eventually the storm passed and the waves subsided and blah, blah, blah. That's not what happened. It was, it had to be the most crazy thing to ever see. 20-foot waves, whoosh, calm. How does that happen? Unless the creator himself who spoke those molecules into existence, Genesis 1, and John 1 reminds us he was with God in the beginning. This is the creator who takes authority over creation in this moment, and he says, quiet, be still. Don't you think that same creator voice can speak into your situation today? I think he can. I believe that he can. Do you need Jesus to speak that over the storm of your life today? Because maybe your storm feels like a mega storm. But he can bring mega calm in a word. He brought peace to the storm on that lake, and he can bring peace to the storm in your lives. In fact, here's the way we want to say it. Here's how you can remember today's message. Just write it down somewhere, or our notes are available on the Version Bible app and online as well at our website. But Jesus still speaks peace over storm-tossed lives and calms anxious hearts. It's what he does if we'll go to him a lot quicker with a far open heart saying, Jesus, needs you right now here. Because I think it's so remarkable that Jesus, when he spoke that peace, it was right where the storm raged. See, oftentimes we want the storm to pass. And so we're just saying, Jesus, take the storm away from me. But I think what's, what we've got to capture here is right where the storm raged, that's where he brought peace. Can he do that for you right where the storm is? That's where he brought it. He still does that today. 
So he rebuked the storm, but that wasn't the only rebuke he gave that day. He turned to his disciples, verse 40, and he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, when you look at that, you got to wonder, what, what, what are they afraid of? So I've looked at this a couple of different times and I've thought about it. Was it because they were afraid of the storm? I, I, don't, I don't really think so. I mean, fear is not a bad thing. I don't think he's accusing them of being afraid of the storm because all of us, that's, fear is a natural reaction. Did he expect them to speak to the storm? I don't think that was in their context yet of what Jesus did. I mean, I don't think it was even like, remember that one time? Yeah, I think we ought to try that. They didn't even do that. I think why they were afraid, and it tells us later on in this passage, verse 41, was because of what just happened. Don't you have faith? So he could have challenged their faith, yes, because they didn't believe his word. Back to the beginning, what did he say? We're going to go to the other side. They totally forgot about that in the middle of the storm. How many of us forget about the promises of God when the storm's brewing? Don't forget what I said. I'm going to get you to the other side. It's a promise. He could have said they had no faith because they accepted Jesus' lack of care toward them, and they expressed that and accused him of that. That could have been. It could have been because they forgot the big picture. You know, how many times do we forget the big picture? Storms come, we focus here, and we figure out the big picture. Remember, Jesus wasn't going to die here in the lake. He had a purpose, to die for the sins of the world a very different way, and this wasn't it. There was a big picture at work. He's like, friends, come on, there's a big picture here at work. Can I remind you, friends, God loves you. He cares about you. There's a bigger picture at work in your life than the storm you're in right now. And God may be using those things for good for you because there's a big picture. But of all the people, his own disciples should have had faith. And who he was. They've seen him do incredible things up to this point. Let's look at it though. Verse 41. They were terrified. Why? The storm is calm now. What were they afraid of? Look at what it says. And they asked each other, Who is this? We thought we knew this guy, (laughs) we've been with him for a while. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, they thought they knew Jesus. They thought this was pretty cool what he was doing, the healing gig, the whole demon-possessed, set-free gig. They thought that was pretty cool. I mean, they knew he was something special, but all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is mind-boggling. Who is this? Even the wind and waves They had a whole new awareness of who Jesus is. And the only way they knew that was because they were in the storm. And even though they forgot for a while who was in the boat with them, I'm pretty sure they were glad Jesus was in the boat with them. See, storms reveal what we believe about the identity and the authority of Jesus. And for a lot of people, storms happen and they blow Jesus out the window and say, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. This is who you are. We have a misguided understanding of the things that God allows. And usually it's to reveal something about us in the middle of those storms because they reveal our faith. In every storm, there's an opportunity for us to wander 
be amazed and discover more about who Jesus is in our life. That's why I'm glad the storms come and the waves roll because in there I can go, wow, you are God and I can trust in you. The one within the boat is greater than the storm that surrounds the boat. Philippians 4, 6, Paul picks this up. Paul wasn't there in the boat, but he'd had his own storms. He's had his own challenges, and this is what he discovered. And you've got to memorize this verse. You know, but Kelly, we don't memorize anymore. We, everything's, everything's in our phones. Well, then highlight this in your Bible app. Do not be anxious about anything. Friends, right there tells you there is no thing that you are allowed to be anxious about. Some of you, you're way anxious about everything. And this says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, I love that verse, and I've used it frequently. When I have felt anxious about something, I have stopped and said, God, remind me of what your word says. You told the Apostle Paul, who experienced this many times himself, to not be anxious but instead to turn my anxiety toward you with petition, thanksgiving, and request. And that exchange of my anxiety, my worries, and prayer to you, you give me something back. And it says, and the peace. Remember that word spoken over the storm? That's the word. And the peace that blows your mind away. That's, the, that's when it says passes understanding. It is mind-boggling peace. It doesn't make sense. Imagine the disciples that day. Storm, no storm. That had to be like, whoa! That is not easy to understand how that just happened. Mind-blowing peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Friends, we need this because he still speaks peace into storm-tossed lives and brings calm to anxious hearts. But we have to do it. Too many of us, we, we start bailing, we start yelling, we start doing all we can to make our situation better when what we have to learn to do is remember who's in the boat with us. He's in my life, he's there, and don't accuse him, but approach him. Petitioning, hey, Jesus, you know what I'm going through here, and it is horrific. But I know you're with me in the boat. Will you, bring, will you bring your peace to my life? I want to wrap up with an illustration here. This thing is called an overhead projector. <laughs> For some of my uh, high-tech friends in the room, we used to use these to put words on the wall. I used to have the job to put the transparencies of the worship song correctly on the transparency projector so the words weren't backwards or upside down. What I've got here is a, a baking dish. And no, we're not going to make a casserole, at least not one you're going to want to eat. But I'm going to talk about storms that come into our life. You know, I've got some uh, pepper here. Um, pepper is a funny thing. 
We like it on our food. We don't like it in our sinuses or in our eyes, right? Because pepper stings. Uh, that's, why, that's why they call it pepper spray, not like potpourri spray or <laughs> cinnamon spray, right? It's because it's meant to make you afraid. Lady, you, you, if you reach into your purse and bring out something and say it's pepper spray, that, there's a whole new level of caution approach to you. Why? Because we know what pepper does. And we know that pepper can represent the problems that pepper our lives. Some of you are very generous with your pepper, so I'll be generous. And maybe if this pan was your heart, this might be what it looks like today. You're anxious about a lot of stuff. You're peppered with problems. Now imagine if I was trying to pick all the pepper out of here. Facing each one, trying to fix each little pepper and take it out of my life. I'd be a little powerless to do that. And there are times when life happens that way to us. It's like the whole container of pepper just got poured into the situation I'm dealing with. And between sneezing and crying, I'm trying to figure out what to do with this, right? You've all been there before. Some season of life. Overwhelmed. Until it dawns. On you. This advertisement is not paid for by Don. Until it dawns on you that I've forgot something. A fatal faith flaw. I forgot who was with me in the boat. What if the disciples never woke up Jesus? What if they totally spaced who was in the boat with them? I think Jesus would have floated on the water, made it to the shore just fine, and went on with his mission. He walked on water. Why wouldn't he just float to shore, right? The disciples would have perished. They remembered who was in the boat. How quickly we need to start remembering who's in the boat with us. In this world, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Cross-stitch that on your pillow next time. We don't like those kind of verses. In this world, you will have trouble. But what's he say? But take heart. I have overcome the world. We got to remember who's in the boat with us. Because when we remember that Jesus is there and he has an ability to speak peace right in the midst of our storm, it does something. I'm going to take just this little dawn and drop one little drop into the storm of my life. It changes your perspective. Now, the pepper's still there. And some of you know there are times when the trouble still happens and the waves still roll and it doesn't seem fun, but at least Jesus is with you in the boat, giving you some perspective. Yeah, Kelly, I know this isn't fun. I'm going to roll the storm out with you, and I'm with you to the very end. But there are also times when he just, boom, and he's done it. And he brings a calm, like nothing you can wrap your mind around. Remember, I told you at the beginning, their boat wasn't the only boat. 
Possibly at that time, there could have been as many as 100 boats out in the Sea of Galilee fishing as they were heading out to fish. It wasn't just the boat that Jesus and the disciples were in that was in peril. There were countless boats in peril. But Jesus was in one of those boats. And you know what? That made the difference for the boat over there. Because that boat over there was going to die. And they didn't have Jesus in the boat. But they saw what happened when Jesus spoke over the storm and it stopped. They're like, whoa, I want that guy in my boat. <laughs> Friends, sometimes, and I hard, this is hard to hear, I know. Sometimes he allows storms into our life for the benefit of somebody else. So are you okay with that? We're like, no, just put the storm over there instead. Let them figure it out on their own. No, he's with you in the boat. And he changes our perspective. I bring us back once again to the big idea. Take this home with you today. Go ahead, Terry. And it's this. Jesus still speaks peace over storm-tossed lives and calms anxious hearts. Let's pray. Lord, right now, you know what's going on right here in this room. If we could look around and every one of us was like a sea, we would see various forms of what's going on in our lives. For some, there might be boats absolutely rocking and tipping, and they feel like they're going to just die in this one. Overwhelmed by the storm. And nobody here today is faulting them for that. Sometimes those storms come because of our own disobedience, and maybe that's the case. But thank you for your grace and your mercy right now at work in our life that you can turn this thing from ashes to beauty. Others are in a storm and they just don't know why. And they've tried to make sense of it, and because they couldn't, they decided to blame you. Don't you care? You do care for them. But Lord, I know that you are more concerned about the quality of my faith than you are the quality of my comfort. So the storm rolls. And you're teaching me that I cannot be independent. My dependence is on you. And you show me something about who you are and who I'm not in those storms. If you're here today and you're saying, Kelly, man, you were speaking to me today. Pray for me. Raise a hand if that's you. I got a storm going on, and I just, I am so glad that Jesus is in my boat. And if he's not in your boat, guess what? He'll jump on your boat. And who else would jump onto a vessel that's about to be destroyed, right? But Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, right now, in this moment, there are people with stories that they can't share in this, in this place, but they're overwhelmed. Thank you that right now, they don't have to be overwhelmed by their storm. Instead, they can be overwhelmed by you, by who you are, the love, the power, the strength, all of those things, the peace that you speak into their life can happen right now as they trust in you. And yeah, the waves may still roll tomorrow, but they're going to know that, Jesus, you're in the boat with me. You have a purpose and a plan, and I don't get it, but I want to learn from it. 
The disciples were terrified when they looked at you and said, who is this? And I pray that through this we would go, wow, who is this? That even this situation obeys him. We trust in you, Jesus. So glad you're in the boat. Let us never forget that. And I pray that we would also recognize that other boats are watching. They're seeing how we respond to the storm we're in. And because you're in the boat, it makes all the difference in the world. And I pray they would see that in us and we could share that with others. So thank you, God. Thank you for ministering today into storm-tossed lives to bring calm to anxious hearts as only you can do. Peace, be still. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.